Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Father, I want to thank you for um, Karen's diligent preparation. I want to thank you for the way in which uh, she has taken seriously the task of unpacking your word. But I want to thank you that we don't rest on her skill and ability, um, that we are asking for your spirit to come and to enable her and anoint her. We are also asking for your spirit to be present with us, um, to be able to hear what your spirit is saying to the church. Uh, we ask that as we create a... Um, as we create an opportunity for encounter, that we would encounter you in your power and in your beauty through your word, in your name and for your glory. Amen. Thank you, guys. It really is a privilege to be with you this morning. And as Nick said, I get to continue in our Hebrews um, series, which is called Better. And last week, Nick led us through the warning of chapter 10 about um, not shrinking back, but to be those who by faith endure and preserve their souls. So that was the kind of end of chapter 10. So it's not a big surprise then that chapter 11 does a bit of a dive into what faith is because we endure by faith. Um, so it kind of looks at what faith is, what it um, looks like. It's got a, a bunch of examples and why faith is so important for us. So let's read together um, from the word of the Lord. We're reading Hebrews 11, verse 1 through 16. Um, this is the ESV. It should be on the screen. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. So by this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents, with Isaac and Jacob, heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. 
These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking about the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This is the word of the Lord. I love as I was kind of sitting in this text preparing this week, looking at all these examples of people who've gone before us. I literally was in my Bible looking at an example of somebody who went before me. The Bible that I have at home was initially my dad's. And... Um, I probably said something like, you know, oh, I need a, I don't know, an ESV version, and he would have taken it right there and then and given it to me. So in a couple of places, he's already written in the margins and marked it up. And in Hebrews 11, this chapter that we're just sitting through, he has underlined every time it says, by faith. Um, he's underlined and highlighted what the author has so intentionally repeated line after line. Because by repeating the phrase, by faith, we avoid the error of moralizing these stories. The main point of this is not go and do great things like X, Y, and Z did. The main point of this is put your faith in God. Trust him, love him, walk humbly with him. So faith is the main theme of this chapter. It's, incidentally, Romans is the only other book in the Bible that mentions faith more than Hebrews does. So faith is so important to what we're understanding this morning. And the kind of simpli simplistic breakdown of this chapter is the first four verses given a description of what faith is, and the rest are examples of what faith looks like. You know, and one of the difficulties that we all face um, is Faith is such an important concept for us to grasp. In fact, our whole belief structure is often called our faith, right? That's how vital it is to us. So we've been familiar with it, and this is also one of the most known chapters on it, and so we can slip into familiarity a little bit. It's like someone's bust out their family photo album at the dinner party, and everybody's eyes just glaze over a little bit. You know, there is that temptation. But my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will just have our hearts burn within us this morning as we sit under the living and active Word of God. Uh, you may not know it, but up here engraved on this pulpit, it says the Word of our God will stand forever. So whenever anybody's preaching here, it's the Word of God that changes and establishes and secures us. So this morning we're going to look at faith, and we're going to look at it under three headings. What is faith? What does faith do, and what is, why is faith important? So firstly, what is faith? Well, faith, simply speaking, is trusting and believing. Um, our kids have actually just done Hebrews 11 in kids' ministry, and I was teaching them on what is faith, you know, and I sit with these little people in there, and I said to them, okay, you tell me, what do you understand faith to mean? And little hands go up all over the room. It's, you trust in something. You believe in something. You know that something is true. And I'm like, yep, that's about all that needs to be said about that. You've got it. Everybody has faith in something. We all start with a set of beliefs. 
something that we consider be, to be true, and that determines how we live and the choices that we make. Everybody has faith in something. But the, and you know, probably the way we live is the best indicator of what we truly believe. <laughs> Just gonna set that over there. Um, but when the Bible is talking about faith and what it is that we believe, it means that we take our trust and we place it in something outside of ourselves. We place it in something that is external, something that is eternal. Faith is the conviction that God exists, that He is the creator and ruler of all things, that He's the provider and redeemer of all things, and that he is the giver of salvation through Jesus Christ alone. Faith basically means to believe all that God has said about himself and to take Christ as my all in all. Plus nothing, minus something, I take Christ. This is initial faith. This is the faith by which we enter into salvation. And Hebrews tells us in the passage we just read, faith is the assurance or the substance of things hoped for. It's the conviction or the evidence of things that we have not yet seen. And that assurance or that substance literally means a standing under. So faith is firm ground on which to stand while we wait for the fulfillment of all that God has promised. It steadies our feet. It anchors our hearts while we wait. We wait with faith and patience, and we run with endurance. Conviction or evidence of things not seen. Basically, we believe in things that we cannot see. We believe in a spiritual world. We believe in eternal life. We believe in the things that God has already done that we weren't there to see. So our faith is in what God has done, and our faith is in what God will do. So faith is, secondly, it's based on the character of God. God is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he will do. David said, it so succinctly said, well, God, you're God, and your words are true. And that is what faith is, the character of God. A believer's faith can never rise higher than their concept of God. A, faith, a promise is only as good as the one making the promise. So God's character is our foundation for our faith. Tozer says it like this. Faith is not optimism. Our world is kind of likes the idea of faith. You gotta have faith, that's fine, that's fine. They don't like to put it in God. But so faith is not optimism, though it may breed optimism. It's not cheerfulness, though a man of faith is likely to be reasonably cheerful. It is not a vague sense of well-being or a tender appreciation for the beauty of human togetherness. Faith is, con faith is confidence in God's self-revelation as found in Holy Scriptures. So who God is, is what our um, faith is built on. Faith is also a gift. Um, the Holy Spirit really gives us the power to be able to trust Christ. We trust him to save our souls. We trust him to keep us from stumbling. And we trust him to present us faultless before the presence of his glory. Ephesians 2 tells us quite clearly in verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your doing. It is a gift of God. It's not the result of works so that no man may boast. Isn't God so incredibly kind? The thing that we need to be able to respond to him, he gives us. You need faith to be able to see who I am? I'm gonna give you faith. I'm gonna uncover who I am before you. I'm gonna let you see and recognize the truth. I'm gonna help you respond to me. I'm gonna help you trust me. 
Even the part that we have to play, he gives us. <laughs> He's just so kind to us. So faith is a gift, but as you know, with all gifts, they can be nurtured or they can be neglected, right? You look at any gifted athlete or musician or dancer, they have fostered and fed their faith for years. And the same is true for the gift of faith that is in us. We can nurture it or we can neglect it. But the good news is that our faith can increase. This gift that we have been given can grow and become stronger. The disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. It's not a finite amount of um, faith that is given to you and that's all you got. Your faith can grow and develop. Um, in Romans 10, um, scripture tells us that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. So one of the ways we can increase our faith is to feed it on the word of God, to feed it on the bread of life. And this kind of makes sense, really, because if faith is based on who God is, the more we know about who he is, the more we can trust him, right? It, God is good and God is able, but if I don't know that, it makes it really hard to trust him. Um, a number of years ago, Nick and I took a trip. Uh, Kayla, who's in our life group, said, I'm never going on a trip with you guys ever because you seem to have the most ridiculous stories that come out of every <laughs> adventure. Um, so Nick and I were driving, in, and we were in South Africa, a long kind of road trip, and it was the days before cell phones, for those of you who can remember what life was like, when you were really kind of vulnerable on the road, right? If you broke down between City 1 and City 2, you were at the mercy of whoever ever stopped to help you. And so we kind of, I mean, this car, I don't know. It was, who knew a car had bungee cords? Apparently it does, and they can break. So this car had all kinds of stuff. We kind of chugged into one little city. What? Don't correct, don't correct my story right now. <laughs> don't spoil a good story with facts. <laughs> so we kind of chugged into one little town, um, the guy was like, we've got to fix this and this and this and this. Okay, great, fixed it. We get on the road and off we go again and we're doing okay until we kind of slow down to drive through the next town and suddenly there's a we're like, oh my gosh, here we go again. So you look for the one garage that this one little town has and in we get and feeling very vulnerable. Um, and we get in there and we, the mechanic comes out and he listens, he says, okay, turn it off, turn it on. He listens again, he says to his helper, hey, you, get me the interdescriptive word, hammer. <laughs> so we're like, okay. And he gets under the car and he just goes, dang, dang, dang. And we're like, oh my gosh. He just climbed under the car with a hammer. Turned it on, the noise is gone like, oh my gosh, look at what you just did. So, <laughs> apparently, when the other guys had put the engine back together, they put the fan case in and bent the fan case, and it was fine while we were driving because the air was cooling the car, but as we slowed down to going to the town, the fan turned on and was hitting the fan casing. And this guy just knew what it was, beat it out, and we were good to go. But let me tell you, I didn't have much faith in this man. <laughs> I did not have a lot of trust in him because I didn't know him. I didn't know if he knew what he was doing or if he was just seeing an opportunity to take advantage of vulnerable travelers here. But now I know him, and if I go back into that garage again, I'd be like, it's okay. 
I know this guy. I, I know he's going to do good with me. And so the more you know someone, the less vulnerable you feel when something needs to be repaired or fixed in your life because you trust that they know what they're doing and they're going to do good by you. So what does faith do then? If this is what faith is, what does faith do? Well, first of all, faith reorders our affections. We are saved by faith alone. Scripture says, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. That's what we do to be saved. Stott says, saving faith is resting faith that trusts, that I'm going to say that one more time. Faith, oh my goodness gracious. Saving faith is resting faith, the trust that relies entirely on the Savior. There's nothing we bring to that. We rely entirely on the Savior. Um, and Hebrews has already, in uh, verse chapter 7, described Jesus as this better high priest who is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Isn't that beautiful? Save to the uttermost. There's no doubt. There's no wandering. Save to the uttermost. When we come to saving faith, we fall into the arms of Christ, trusting him alone to rescue us. This, when we fall into his arms, it links us to him. We literally become in Christ at that point. And when we are in Christ, all the blessings that are Christ's become ours. Because we are in Christ, there is no condemnation. There's nothing that ever can separate us. We are sons and heirs. We are fully assured of resurrection and glory. And we have the companionship and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. We are in Christ. And if we look at this language of salvation, it's very, very intimate. It's very affectionate. Draw near. Come in. Love adoption. It's not legal language. It's familial language. It's about our affections. Our adoption is the most precious manifestation of God's grace towards us. Packer says, to be right with God, the judge, is a great thing. That is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by the Father is greater. This doctrine of adoption fulfills our deep need to be seen and known and loved. And because he first loved us, we are then able to love him back. So this is our affections are reordered. This is what faith does for us. This is the initial faith, the faith that draws us into God to believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. This is the faith that changes our affections and helps us to trust and love God on a very deep, very intimate, very personal level. So faith reorders our affections. Faith also reforms our actions. This is ongoing faith. It's the faith we exercise every day. We come into faith by believing the gospel. We walk every day of our faith journey by believing the gospel. We choose again and again every day to believe the truth of the gospel. 2 Corinthians in verse 7 reminds us that we walk by faith, not by sight. This journey that we're on is a walk. And I love this because it's just, it introduces this idea of, of traveling. 
you're, it's a steady advance in spiritual things. It's a life that's lived out in submission and surrender to God. Now, walking by faith does not mean that we will never, ever have doubt or fear or sin again. We know that that's not true in our own lives. We see that that's not true in the lives of the matriarchs and the patriarchs. But what it does mean, what faith does mean, is we take those doubts, we take those worries, we take those fears, and we take them to God. We allow the word of God to wash over them, and we cry out to God in our unbelief. We've A couple of times this morning, we've even talked about the um, life group uh, curriculum that we're going through right now on worship, and we've, we just did the, the one on lament. And you take what is real and hard, and you take it to God. That's the difference. We don't, our, our kind of society um, tends to foster this idea of actually feed your doubt a little bit, make much of your doubt, rather than take your faith and feed it, or take your doubt to God and let him work with that. Um, you know, I, 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 by the grace of God, um, I keep trying to tell Nick it's theologically okay for me to say I was born saved. <laughs> he's, he's not on board with it just yet. <laughs> he says, no, it's not. Um, but I have not, I cannot ever remember a time where I did not know that God loved me. I was raised by parents who loved Jesus deeply. Um, I just have always known that God is and that God loves me. Um, so grateful for that story, and, and God has just sustained me through all of that. Um, all, my, all my days, God has just held me and kept me um, in my ability to trust him. It's his doing. Um, but, you know, it doesn't mean that there's never, ever a sense of, I wonder, or is that real, you know? Um, not often, but when, when they come, they come. Um, and, you know, some of you know that, you know, my dad died just a couple months ago. And that, that was, it was hard for me. Um, man, I'm so glad God redeemed death. I'm so glad that that is something he will just restore. But, you know, I sat for days kind of just saying, it's okay, go home, reading scripture, just releasing him. And then as he died, there was just this thought of like, what if that's not real? What if... It's just over, and that's the end of that. And I was like, oh, God, help me. Here's this moment of unbelief. God, will you help me? And he just met me with his grace and his presence and, and just a certainty. Again, it doesn't mean that you take this thing and you bury it down deep and pretend it never crossed your mind. You take this thing and say, God, help me with this thing right here. Our faith has to be tested, scripture tells us. Our faith will be tested because the testing of our faith produces steadfastness and the steadfastness is what helps us to endure, which was the whole thing if we started in the beginning. Remember, we're not those who shrink back, we are those who by faith endure. So our faith has to be tested. Um, and this is the continual faith of life. This is the faith that affects our actions. Um, and as a people, I think all people in all places, we kind of tend to swing from extreme to extreme, right? We're all in over here, and then we realize, oh, maybe there was some stuff. So then we just go in all in over here. And so we kind of have this, 
opportunity. <laughs> we try to correct the error of salvation by works. We know that that's not true. Okay, we're not saved by our works. All right, then we're going to go all the way over here and say salvation doesn't require any obedience. Well, that, neither of those two extremes are true. Um, you know, the examples of the faith that we set out before us, there's many different kinds of people. There's list and list and list of people doing many, many, many different kinds of things. But what we see is each one of them obeyed in faith. This is our actions get reformed by faith. Um, by faith, Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice. By faith, Enoch pleased God. By faith, Noah constructed an ark. By faith, Abraham left his home. By faith, Sarah conceived. By faith, people lived and died as exiles, believing in what they saw as a distance. Uh, Manson says, faith and obedience can never be severed. As the sun and the light, as fire and heat, obedience is faith's daughter. Obedience is part of our faith journey, and faith reforms our actions. So why is obedience important then? What is, what is the big deal about that? Well, first of all, obedience is a witness. It's an evidence to those around us. It's a showing of, God, a showing of who God is and a showing of how to follow God. It's a witness to the unsaved. Um, 1 Peter 2 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, again that theme, this is not our home, sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh that wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So what we do, how we obey God, is a witness to the unsaved. We had breakfast with Peter and Karen yesterday and they were just telling us about their latest trip to China and that there's one village where people are coming to faith because so many of the younger generation have left to find work, but the old people have been left behind. And the church is like, we can do something about that. And they're caring for the older people so by obeying God's word to be a blessing to the city in which they live, they are showing who God is and people are coming to faith. It was always God's plan to have his people live differently from the world around them. It was always his plan that their lives should look differently so that he could be put on display, so his nature could be held up. We need to be the salt of the earth. We need to be the light of the world so that the unsaved can see the magnificence of who our God is. It's also a witness to the saved. Even if we look at the list we just read this morning, there's something that we can learn and something that we can take courage from, from those who've gone before us. You know, when we first moved to this country, um, I went to the grocery store. I come from Africa, right? Okay. I go to the grocery store. Okay, I'm gonna buy toothpaste. Why are there 42 kinds of toothpaste? So I stand and read all the labels and what this one's supposed to do better than the other one. And I'm like, okay, well, that's now half an hour of my life. Okay, I walked into the cereal aisle. Why are there 402 kinds of cereal? I burst into tears and went home with nothing. It was too much. Friends of ours came like the next day with a little packet. And they said, okay, 
for the first little while. Buy this kind of laundry detergent, buy this kind of toothpaste, buy this kind of cereal. This is where the DMV is, this is how you open a bank account. They had gone before, they had learned some things, and they gave me courage and steps on how to enter into this journey. So helpful. They gave courage to me. Um, I read an interesting article this week. This lady's name is, is Kelly Wellenbach, and she's written this article kind of lamenting how many young people are turning away from their faith. And she just, there were some really interesting comments that she made. And she said, evangelism doesn't always look like revival nights or youth group invitations or mission strips. Most of the time, it's a steady witness of long obedience in the same direction. While some say this is passive, this is the hardest kind of obedience. It's difficult to show up for church every Sunday morning when your friends are sleeping in. It's difficult to disciple your family when others look like they are having more fun. It's difficult to boldly proclaim, if it's just me, Lord, still I will follow you. Gen Z needs the kingdom of God active in the lives of the saints. They need to witness genuine countercultural faith. We need the saints to come around us, to pray for us, encourage us, and model a life we cannot help but emulate. Faith and obedience is a witness to the unsaved and to the saved. Obedience is also worship. Um, it pleases God. It's an intentional honoring and submitting to God. Anytime we choose to take ourselves off the throne of our lives, anytime we choose to take ourselves out of our own center, we're making room for God to be glorified. We're trusting and yielding to God as God. It honors him. It makes much of him. Faith gives us the strength to obey. Faith also gives us the willingness to obey. Because our affections have been changed, we get to obey as sons, not as slaves. We get to obey out of choice and love and out of desire and reverence. But obedience is hard and faith is scary. That's just it. That is just the truth. It is, and it's just always going to be that way. Faith is scary. Obedience is hard. You know, I mean, we, we moved across the world with um, no home, no job. It, you know, we'd exercised some moments of faith before. You would think maybe this, the next thing God asked me to do, I'd be like, sure, got it, no problem. Not quite so much. <laughs> Obedience is hard. It is hard. I don't want to do some of those things. <laughs> and faith is scary. In one of the, one time that I, we were in a gathering, and um, it was just an extended period of worship, and it was just, you know, praying over some people who'd come forward to receive prayer. And one of the, the girls that was up there is, um, she's a fantastic singer. I mean, really, really good. And I feel God say to me, I want you to go sing over her. I'm like, God, you have got to be kidding me. This is the stuff of nightmares. Singing and dancing in public is the worst for me. And God says, go and sing over, not just Joe Schmo over there, go and sing over the best singer in the room. I'm like, God, come on. That's, that's, not, that's, not, that's too much. <laughs> but with trembling, faltering 
bad keys all over the place, I just said, okay, God, I mean, wh what have I got to lose except my pride right here? So I sat down next to her, and I just started to sing very quietly. And she just broke and wept and wept and wept. I didn't know what God was doing in her, but God knew what he was doing in her. And he gave me the opportunity to be a vessel to minister to her through a simple act of obedience. It's worship for God, but it's still hard for me. <laughs> and let me tell you, start with the small things. As our faith increases, our obedience can increase. Start with obeying the way God has set out things to be done in Scripture. He's the creator after all. We can obey those things. And then take small steps of obedience when we feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Um, recently, Nick and I sat with a, a newer believer um, who came in much fear and trembling, much, much bravery. Um, this person had been sat with us before and said, you know, I, I just want to hear the voice of God. I don't feel like I'm hearing the voice of God. And, and you know, we talked through that. And then, and then this young believer did hear the voice of God. And the voice of God came and said, this area of sin over here, let's bring some conviction to that. Let me help you get rescued from that. And then the voice of God said, now I want you to go and confess. And that's what this new believer came to do, to confess in so much fear and trepidation. But let me tell you, instantly, the power that the enemy had over that person was broken. There's no more of those whispers of what if somebody hears, what if somebody finds out it's done because God has set me free and I have told people and now I know. And let me tell you, that person now, will, I'll say, what are you hearing? This is what I'm hearing God say. This is what I'm hearing God say. Because they no longer have to block their ears to his voice because they don't want to deal with the area of, of sin. It's a beautiful thing when we obey. It does not mean it's not going to terrify our socks off. Obedience is not required for us to get into heaven. You need to understand that. Only the merits of Christ get us into heaven. Obedience is not required to make us fit for heaven. Only the Holy Spirit working in our hearts does that. But obedience is a platform on which we can honor and please God as we journey to heaven. Romans 1 verse 5, speaking of Jesus, says, Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. Don't you love that? The obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus. Obedience is for the sake of his name among the nations and those who are already called. Thirdly, faith reorientates our aspirations. It changes the things that we're aiming at. It changes what is important for us. In 2 Corinthians 4, it says, we look not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. Picking up a theme here a little bit. We look to things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That is where we're looking, and that is our aim, and that is our aspiration, and that is what our focus is. I love that this passage includes the story of Abraham, who left his land. He left his father's land, which was a big deal, right? 
He didn't know where the next well was or where the next set of water would be or where the bandits were hiding out on the road. When you left your city, it was a, it was a big thing. So he left not knowing who was going and he dwelt in tents all of his days. The only land he ever owned was a burial plot. And it sets up our aspirations to beyond this temporal world. We are just sojourners here. This is not our home. We sojourn through. This is the kind of final faith that helps us to remember that we're exiled and we're desiring a better country. Verse 10, speaking of Abraham, says, He was looking forward to the city that has its foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. Don't you love that? Greeted them from afar, but they had faith that that is what God was saying. Having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people speaking thus, make it clear that they're looking for a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they came, he's just making ultimately sure that we know that they're not looking just to go back to the land from which they came. They could have gone back if they'd wanted to. No, no, no. They were desiring a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And here this idea of the city emerges. It's going to be the theme for the next couple of chapters. And it's so beautiful, and it's so hopeful. And can you imagine what a wonderful hope this was for someone who dwelt in tents their entire life, someone who was always slightly vulnerable, someone who was never quite at home, never quite feeling established. Here's a city with foundations designed and built by God. Abraham was able to live the life that he did because he was looking forward not to Canaan, he was looking through Canaan to a better country, to a heavenly one. So far in Hebrews, we've been told that we have a better salvation, a better hope, a better covenant, better promises, better sacrifices, better position, and now a better country. By faith, we await a better home. We can acknowledge that we are strangers and we wait with faith and patience. We hope for what we do not yet see. So that is what faith does. So why is faith important? Well, it's the foundation of our Christian living. A.W. Pink, I can't just say pink anymore because people think, Pink said that, that's quite profound for her. A.W. Pink says, faith, it enlightens the judgment molds the heart, moves the will, and reforms the life. It does so because it unites the soul to God and draws strength from him. Thus, faith is altogether a supernatural thing. That is why faith is so important for us. We are saved by faith. We endure by faith. We enter into his rest by faith. It is by faith that the convicted and repentant sinner is saved. It is by faith that Christ dwells in our heart. It is by faith that we live. It is by faith that we stand. It is by faith that we walk. It is by faith that we resist the devil. It's by faith that we are sanctified. It's by faith that we have access to God. It's by faith that we fight the good fight. It's by faith that we overcome the world. It's by faith that we are justified. 
It is by faith that we have access to grace. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's why faith is so important to us. Band, you can come on up. Um, yeah, I'm just going to pray. Jesus, we need you. We love you. We trust you. Will you help us to need you and love you and trust you more? You alone can save. You alone can keep. You alone can present us. Holy Spirit, would you help us to acquaint ourselves with God and to be at peace? God, you are God. Your words are true. You are God. You are who you say you are. You will do what you say you will do. Please, Holy Spirit, will you increase our faith Will you increase our view of God? The greatest gift we have is that He has given us the ability to exercise our faith in Him by grace. Paul talks to Timothy. And he says, Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. For this saying is trustworthy. If we have died with him, we will live with him. If we endure with him, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. But if we are faithless, he remains faithful. The, the reality of his gift of faith is not that we suddenly become superheroes of faith is that we rest in his faithfulness. And one of the ways that we rest in his faithfulness is to rehearse that. And I, I, I want us to respond in two ways. Number one, a simple act of faith. If you've never stepped into the faith of Christianity, if you've never accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, is to do what the Bible says, believe in your heart, that's faith, and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you will be saved. And you can believe in your heart and confession because belief is made with a heart, confession is made with a mouth. It's that simple to exercise faith, to come and confess to someone that I believe that Jesus Christ is Savior. For the rest of us, I guess I want to ask this question. What is your singing moment? What is that moment that you know that God has called you to act with faith and obedience? Is it giving a generous financial gift? Is it actually speaking of your faith at work? Is it starting a Bible study? Is it doing something dramatic or is it doing something simply obedient where the Word of God tells us if we want to feed our faith? Spend time with Him. What is that moment, even now, as you're like, what does it look like for me to exercise faith? Because He is faithful. Great is Thy faithfulness. As we go to the table, I want us to be thinking about that question. 
God, are you calling me to step into something that is scary, that is difficult? Are you calling me to exercise my faith in a way that is going to be scary? That may not have the result that Karin had. But are you calling me to exercise that so that I can grow in my faith? Let's go to the table. There's a table at the back, a table at the side. There's wine here at the front. Let's bring the elements back to our seats and we'll take communion together. Grace, can you put the slide up that says pardon for sin? Would you stand with me? Michael's got something to encourage us with and then we're going to take communion. Hey, thanks. <clears throat> I don't like to do this, but... Um, singing moment. That's, yeah, my singing moment. That's right. So typically we hear the, the verse, faith like a mustard seed can move a mountain. And you expect that to be like, hey, just have a little bit of faith. That can do something powerful and brave. But in my life, typically that means like, I just have enough faith to turn to God with this, right? Sometimes trials come and things get really crappy or really incredibly terrible in your life. And like, maybe you're not going to move a mountain with that faith, but... Just have enough faith to just approach the throne. Yeah. Our response is to go to God. He moves the mountain. Um, our exercise of faith is to go to Him. The words of that song say, Pardon for sin and a peace that endures. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. We hold in our hand what represents our pardon for sin. We hold in our hands the broken body of Jesus and we hold his shed blood let's take his body this represents the blood of the new covenant by which we have pardon for sin take and drink There's something unique about what the church has done for over 2,000 years because in reality what we are experiencing is the presence of God in the act of communion. That Jesus is present with us, His body, Him being the head of the church, as we take this, His presence is here to cheer and to guide. And as we take that, we recognize that He's given us the gift of faith to be able to exercise in Him. And as we remind ourselves that the seat of our faith is not in how big our faith is, but in the fact that He is faithful to us in the midst of that. Let's sing that again. Thank you.
thank you that all we have needed, you have provided. You have provided your sacrifice. You have provided access to the Father. You have provided a body of believers that can stand with us when our faith is fragile and failing. And I pray that as we step out, we would step out knowing that you are the one that is faithful. And you are the one that enables us to stand. And you are the one that takes a little mustard seed of faith and moves mountains. God, I want to pray for your rich blessing upon these men and women. And I want to pray that as they go out in faith, that they would take risks of faith this week and see you move with power and authority. Amen. Thank you so much. We have leaders to my left, to your right. Um, We would love to pray with you if you're going through a time of difficulty or trial. Um, Maybe you've never asked for faith. Maybe you've never said, hey, I want to put my faith in Jesus. These men and women would love to lead you in that way. Maybe you need someone to stand with you in your fragile or feeble faith. We'd love to pray for you. For the rest of us, let's go out there and be the church. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.